Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for uh, air conditioning. <laughs> Thank you for your love and all your blessings on our lives. Thank you that we're able to partake of this holy communion that we have partaken of today in remembrance of you until you return, Lord. We thank you for everything you've done, your body which is broken for us, your blood shed for us. We love you and we thank you, Lord, and we look forward to your return. Thank you for using me today, Lord. Help to help me to speak your word boldly, to proclaim your word in, in truth and love, and to help to edify your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Just want to look, just uh, while we're examining ourselves a little bit today, we're going to go a little further, examine our our hearts and minds a little bit, and uh, let the Lord love on us and talk to us a little bit about His ways and His feeling about some things. I know there are a lot, a lot of people that I talk to directly, indirectly, and and hear from that they just feel like uh, there's more. They feel like they know God's got something in store. They just don't know what it is. And they're waiting and they're seeking Him. And they think they're doing everything right. And uh, maybe they are, you know. So let's just look at that for a moment. And we're going to find out a little bit more about the Lord and His ways, and we'll size ourselves up. And where we're lacking, we're just asking the Lord to fill in those gaps for us and straighten us out. And where we're doing good, we just want to celebrate a little bit with Him. And, uh, and uh, because, you know, that's a good thing to do, you know. If you get so down on yourself, sometimes people do, you know. Heck, you're here today. That's, that's good, you know. You brush your teeth today, hey, I hope. That's a good thing, you know. You got out of bed and got dressed up, you know. Hey, there's a lot of people that don't even do that. Anyway, there's always something good. Uh, you know, we look for the good in others, don't we? We look for the good and, and try not to just focus on the negative. Well, do the same for yourself, you know. So anyway, a lot of people are, are looking at their lives. They know there's more in store. Let's look at... And turn to the book of Psalms, and we'll look at the very first Psalm and the first three verses. <clears throat> it says, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's awesome. You know, God wants you to prosper. Isn't that what he said through John, beloved? I desire that you be in good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Notice that our soul, our mind, our will and our emotions, it has a lot to do with us prospering because they kind of go hand in hand. And sometimes when we're not prospering like we want to, 
or we think we're just waiting on God. Maybe, maybe there's some things that we need to get in order. He says here that there's a few prerequisites to, to this person walking in, in the blessing of God and, and everything that he does to prosper. And he says that this man, when he is born again, there's some, some expectations that God has based on what he's done for us. It says that there's a, there's a righteous response to his amazing love and, and sacrifice on our behalf. And some of these things we just need to get right. And he, one of those things is we just stop, stop t- sitting in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, all that old stuff from the world and all those people from the world that just refuse to change and don't want to come along with God and he hasn't quite got a hold of them yet. There's really no place in our lives for all that anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have friends that aren't Christians. Paul said, hey, if you got friends that aren't Christians, you want to go to dinner with them, they ask you to go if you want to. You know, so he's not saying that we have to. He said, matter of fact, he said, if to get away from all sin, you have to move out of the world. <laughs> but he says, be careful. There's always restraint and restrictions because he says, watch out, else you're going you're gonna to get sucked back into some things, you know. So really, Paul, and, and they go on and talk about this all throughout the New Testament. What does light and darkness have in common? And, I, I, and you know, the closer you get with God, the more you begin to feel that. You try to, you know, you want to go and do some of the things and see some of the shows and this and that that you used to. And you just, all of a sudden, that desire is gone, you know. Well, that's a good thing because God, Peter says, don't worry. The same thing's happening to your brothers and sisters all around the world. Feel like something strange is happening to you. But it's just that you're becoming more and more like your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and less like the world. And a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So that's not a bad thing. Then stand in the way of sinners. In other words, you've got to turn away from all that sin and just embrace the ways of God. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a lot of people, all they do is complain. They're negative about everything. And they, they, they scoff at, uh, at people that want to do good. It says in the Bible that everyone who wants to or desires to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You're going to suffer persecution for trying to do the right thing all the time. And that's okay. Jesus said if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. Just make sure if they hate you, it's not because of something you've done, that gossip or mistreating somebody, but it's because you're, you're like Jesus. And they hate that because you remind them of what they're not and they have condemnation and guilt. And that's okay because maybe that'll bring them around, you know. And as long as you keep doing good anyway, like Mother Teresa wrote that poem anyway, it was never between you and them anyway. It was always between you and God anyway. Well, then it's the goodness of God that brings repentance. So when they see with the good things he's done in your life and the joy of the Lord in you, then maybe they'll want what you have. And you provoke them to a a godly jealousy, to want God just like you have. And then there's someone that that, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The gospel, the Bible is an awesome, awesome book. It's written by God to us and and it's just amazing. I was just preparing today, just 
and not preparing, just but just reading, you know, just taking it wherever it takes me. And I just turned to my wife; she was sitting next to me, and I said, "You know, the word is so awesome." <laughs> and she disagreed with me, and I went on. But that's really how I feel. I love this. I love the Bible, and I love the Lord who who wrote it, and I love everything about Him. And the more we uh, fall in love with Him, the more we want to know what His Word says regarding us, and and we'll focus in on those promises and meditate on those things, and uh, and it'll bring about good things in our life. That's the person. That person who has all those things sorted out and is heading in the right direction. God doesn't care where we've been so much as where we're going, right? So when we get headed in the right direction and we're trying to do all the right things with the Lord as He gives us the power and strength and wisdom to do, then that person is going to prosper in everything that he does. And that's a good thing. A lot of times people are waiting for God and it may not be necessary. What I mean by that is if you really believe that you love the Lord and you've got some things in order and you're doing things to the best of your ability His way and, and not your old way and you've died yourself and you're living for the Lord and you've got dreams or, or plans or ideas that you want to pursue and you're waiting on God to tell you if it's yes or no. Just go for it. Just go for it. You know, you don't necessarily need a red light or a green light. No light at all means proceed. <laughs> and if you proceed and it's not good or not going right, you've got God there to redirect you on your course and make course corrections. Just like when we shot the man to the moon. We... We didn't have a lot of technology, and we just shot them off in that general directions and made burns or course corrections every 10 minutes all the way there. <laughs> so they definitely didn't go on a straight line. And we're not going to go on a straight line to heaven. We're going to just go on about our business the best we can, listening for the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to let Him make course corrections in our lives every 10 minutes for the rest of the, the journey. Amen? That's all it is. There's no perfect life. There's just life. So get on with it. <laughs> but, you know, my wife, I said, I, I, I told her this morning, I said, I'm still waiting to see what the Lord wants to talk about. You know, she said, I need, I know what he's telling me. I need to watch my mouth. <laughs> you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That was what it says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one. And you know, it, it doesn't say some words. It says all of our words are going to be judged by God. Look over here in Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 36. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus was talking to the disciples. And... He says, I'll back up to verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. You're the tree. The fruit is your words. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. 
I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So, he doesn't say that there's a just a whole bunch of words that don't matter, and they go into the didn't really mean it category, or hey, I was only joking category. No, every word contains either death or life, and for every idle word or ungodly word, we're going we're gonna to answer for that one day. You know, there will be rewards in heaven, and, uh, and uh, Paul talks about a lot of people are going to make it in. Some, you know, he, he put it like this, everything is going to go through as through fire. And all the stubble and hay, all the ungodly things of our lives will burn up. And all the precious things, the precious stones and gold and silver stands for godly things and deity will last. And he said some, th- some people are going to make it through, but they're going to have the smell of smoke. <laughs> and so I don't want to be one of those. I want to. I want to get there, and I want to get lots of rewards, and and uh, and hear that well done, good and faithful servant, don't y'all? <laughs> and you know, James, look in chapter in James chapter three, back toward the back. James chapter three, he says, "Let's see here, James chapter three. Let me not misquote him. James chapter three, starting at the third verse." If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, (laughs) our tongues. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord. And Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth some of, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. <laughs> so, someone that well, the answer to that, of course, because no man can control the tongue, but we are not just mere men or women anymore. We are supernatural, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and gives life to this mortal body. And so we have God, and He's the answer. And now we have as an abiding fruit of the Spirit, all of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So self-control is a part of us now. We have the same self-control that Jesus has, and we just need to practice it, don't we? 
We wouldn't get into a car with someone if the, the steering didn't work, you know, or the brakes. That wouldn't be very safe. It's the same way with a person who can't control their tongue. And Christians should never say, I can't, I can't help it or have this, uh, what's that disease they call it when people just blurt stuff out? Tourette's, yeah. You know, people, Christians shouldn't be like that. I guarantee you, nobody should have that disease. That's a spiritual problem. They give everything a, a name, but it's really mostly spiritual. And it can be cast out just like anything else. But Christians really need to practice restraint with our tongues, don't we? God created everything with words, didn't He? And then He created us in His image. So we're creative beings too. And with this creative power comes responsibility. We're actually forming our very lives. Our situations and circumstances are formed by our words. Wherever you are now, you planned on being. You actually spoke this into existence. Now, I know that that doesn't sound very comforting, but it should be, because if you had a part to play in it, then you can fix it. If it's just all up to God, then might as well just relax. You know, if you get sick, don't fight it. If you're broke, oh well. If that's what God wanted, then... Man, I feel sorry for people that go to those kind of churches that teach them that nonsense. Because it's the devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's what we are learning to do. But... Um, we, we all sometimes need to just say the prayer of David in, in Psalm 141, verse 3. David said, Lord, set a watch. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. <laughs> Keep the door of my lips. And if it was good enough for David, it's good enough for us. I, David gives me comfort sometimes because he was a man after God's own heart and we saw he had a lot, a lot of, he wasn't a very good father. He wasn't a very good husband. He had a, a lot of mistakes in his life, a lot. But God really adored him, you know. There was, there's something about a person who just, you know, is sort of a, uh, sort of a mess, but loves the Lord and is quick to repent, you know. When... When the prophet came to David and told this parable about a man who had taken advantage of another person in the kingdom and, 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 and then pointed out that David said that person needs to be killed. <laughs> and then he said, no, it's you. It's you because what he had done to Bathsheba and her husband, that great soldier that was in the employ of king. And he did terrible things to to them both, actually, and uh, and he was called on it. You know what David did, though? He got down off his throne and humbled himself right there before God and everybody. And God loves that. So be encouraged, you know. We all make mistakes. 
we all have big mouths sometimes, and uh, probably not y'all, but Tavana and I do, and we <laughs> we have to pray this prayer a lot, you know. <laughs> not not her so much either as me, but anyway, I you know when you when you have to talk a lot, when it, the Bible says where there's an abundance of words, there is sand. So it, you're taking a big risk when you. When you uh, answer the calling of the Lord and you decide to get up in front of people and, and uh, share his word because it's a big responsibility. Anyway, let's look at something else because we want to continue to look here at our words for just a minute and then we'll be done. We're not going to go too deep today, but the book of Mark in the 11th chapter, Matthew, Mark, the 11th chapter. And I want to start reading here, Mark 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 13. I'll back up to 12. Jesus, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Jesus got hungry. He was a man just like us. He, he, had, he was God in the full, but he gave up all of those rights and privileges to be just like us. He had to learn to walk and talk and do all those things. He never did a, a single miracle or preached the gospel until he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time that he was baptized by his, his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then he also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at that time and it descended from heaven and landed upon him like a dove and stayed so anyway, I just want you to be encouraged right there too because everything that he had, you have. If you are born again and if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I really encourage you to be seeking God about that and to maybe talk to your pastor about it because we will definitely, I will definitely love to help you guys with that because I think it's imperative in these last days especially. So anyway, Jesus was hungry, uh, verse 13, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard this. Well, Jesus saw this fig tree and when a fig tree produces leaves, its fruit comes at the same time. This one had leaves but no fruit. And so it was a hypocrite, basically. Jesus knew that it was supposed to have fruit because it had leaves. And he answered it, is what the King James, he answered the fig tree and then he cursed it. So it was talking to him. You say, well, that's crazy. Believe me, it's not crazy. I want you to think about this because it really does say that in the word, that he answered it. What was it saying? It was, it was hypocrisy, what it was speaking to him. It was saying by having the leaves that I have fruit. And it lied to the Lord who created it. And he cursed it and said, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. But if you don't think that fig tree was speaking, then you won't understand 
some of the ways of God. Stuff talks to us all the time. Our bodies speak to us. Tell us that we're sick. Our checkbooks speak to us. Our bank statement says that we're broke. Lots of situations and circumstances in our lives. Remember what I told you guys recently about the facts can be one thing, but until they line up with the truth of God's word, don't worry about the facts. Speak the truth. What God says in his word regarding that particular thing in your life. The promise of God is true. The facts will change. You keep speaking life into that situation. Whenever a negative circumstance starts speaking to us, we need to learn to talk back to it in faith. Just like Jesus did in this particular situation. This is so important. Because then we will begin to watch and see the situation begin to change. This is how the kingdom of God operates. It's a kingdom of opposites. The world doesn't understand it and the world thinks it's foolish. But God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We have to, and and it's not just the words, it's faith-filled words. We have, to, we have to come to a point where we believe God's promise regarding us in all things more than we believe the report of the world. And the only way to do that is to pray, to begin to pray in the Spirit, to meditate on this Word day and night like it says in Psalm 1 until it becomes, we exalt and magnify the truth of God's Word to where nothing else stands a chance coming up against it. Anything that comes up in our lives, our day-to-day situations and circumstances, we just reject it if it doesn't line up with the truth of God's Word and His love and provision for us. And we speak against it. No weapon formed against you will prosper, and every tongue rising up against you, you shall condemn. That's what the Bible says. Your part to play. So I'm just telling you that you have to start thinking like God if you want to see better results, more godly results in your life. If it's not faith, though, it's sin. So it says in Romans 14, 23. And so, especially considering that, And that we'll be judged for every idle word. And if it's not faith, it's sin. Boy, we really ought to start watching our words. And even our thoughts. Remember what we say about the birds. You can't, it's like a thought, our thought life, right? The birds, you can't stop them from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest on your head. In other words, don't let those negative thoughts stay. Those ungodly reports, don't let, them, don't let them drag you down. When things go south, don't go with them. Romans chapter 4. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all are hearing me today. 
I actually do think y'all are hearing me today. That's good because this is good for us. I was meditating on the fact that I'm responsible for your spiritual growth. And I'm going to be judged on that one day. I'm not leaving anybody behind. You hear me? (laughs) Praise God. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Let's look at how God thinks. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So it's by faith, not by works. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed, this is talking about Abraham, against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, even when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, his wife. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are called to a life of faith. Trusting in God, believing in God. You know, when we are, you know, unbelief is really faith just working in the opposite direction, working for Satan. A lot of Christians put more faith in what the devil can do than they do what the Lord can do. And it shouldn't be that way. Abraham was about a hundred years old. He's still waiting on the promise of God. God had told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. And here he was. He never had a kid, him and Sarah. And she was only a little younger than him. And they were, oh, way too old to even have a baby. And he's still believing because God took him aside one night and told him so. Told him to look up in the stars. He said, if you can count the stars, he said, that's how many are the sand on the seashore. That's how many your offspring is going to be. So he knew based on that promise that God was going to give him and Sarah a child. Now they got off into unbelief at some point along the road because they were getting so old. And Sarah talked him into going in and making a child with her servant. Maybe God needs our help. We figured it out. So that's what they did. And they created Ishmael. And we're still fighting Ishmael's over there. 
But then Isaac came. The child of promise. And that's the only one that God recognized. But God speaks. And then we see. He calls those things that be not as though they were. And that's how we need to learn to talk and believe. And stand strong in believing. Because sometimes the waiting is the hardest part. Faith is what we do while we're waiting for God to bring into manifestation the things that He's promised concerning us. The things that we're believing for. In the book of Genesis, on the very first day, the third verse of the Bible, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Nothing... Too interesting about that, I guess. Except for it was the third day before he ever created a source for that light to come from. And the third day he created the sun and the moon and the stars. Hello. It's a kingdom of opposites. And you have to get your mind and your heart around that because you're powerful. You are just like him. And if the devil can get you to, he'll get you to do some creating on his behalf. Because he can't do anything without you. <coughs> but we need to trust God. Speak life and love into every situation. Every circumstance. And then stand in faith, believing. If we want godly results, we need to learn to talk like God does. <laughs> Instead of saying what we see or what we have, we need to learn to speak what we're believing for. And then keep on and keep on and keep on. The devil knows you. You know that? When you see these people go and put their hands on the table and all this nonsense and they go into these demonic little houses... Psychic or tarot and all, all this stuff. Half the time, <laughs> they just take their money. But what they've done is they've opened a door for the devil to come into their life. So don't ever do that stuff. But the fact is, even if they have someone that turns up and starts... And they say, oh, and they tell them everything. It's like they're reading their mail. They knew this. They actually talking to this person that went on and died. And because they're telling them everything that he's saying, and it only could be him. It's not him. It's a demon. A familiar spirit is what the Bible calls it. There are demons, just like there are God's angels, that watch you your whole life. They know you. They know everything about you. And when you're gone, somebody can go to a tarot card reader and maybe that demon will be entertaining to them and they'll think it's you, but it won't be you. It's a demon. The reason I'm saying that is because we need to understand that Satan doesn't have any authority in our lives except what we give him. And we need to do the will of God. And to speak the will of God. 
if we want godly results. Jesus said, my word is truth. And that's what we need to count on. Instead of what the world tells us. I wanted to share one other thing. Because I told you all I would. Um, And so I figured regarding these spiritual gifts. Because I've been encouraging you guys to seek God uh, for the gift that he wants to give you so much. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we started talking about, I listed last week at the end, the the nine spiritual gifts. And uh, I just wanted to touch on one of those gifts and just give you a couple examples from the Word because I know how interesting these things are because they are to me and they usually are to most Christians when they start learning of all these 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 gifts that uh, that the Lord wants you to have and and will give you, but be mindful that these are these are charis gifts, charismatic gifts. So they're which means grace. So if they're by grace, they can't be earned, and they're given by the Holy Spirit anytime, anywhere, to any individual that He chooses for what the edification or to build up the body of Christ, or even that believer. And I can tell you this, and there may be some debate about this, but I don't care. I I don't see people walking in the gifts of the Spirit that aren't doing the things that we talked about today, opening up. He's looking for someone that, first of all, you have received Christ, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're living... Although not perfectly, a holy life submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the first gift that's listed that I went through last week was the word of knowledge. There's three that are known as revelation gifts. And the word of knowledge is one of them. And I just want to give you an example. Can you think of any place in the Bible where someone was given a word of knowledge, where they knew something all of a sudden that they couldn't have possibly known without the help of God that was given to edify a person or a group of people or a situation? Awesome, yeah, yeah. He said, God told you that, yeah. Well, the one I'm thinking of is the woman at the well. You remember that in John chapter 4? We'll look at that real quick. John chapter 4, verse 17. When Jesus told the woman at the well, well, Jesus, I'll back up to verse 16. Jesus said, go, go call your husband and come here. Remember this woman was out at the well in the middle of the day because she was <clears throat> not accepted amongst the, the regular crowd. And so she came in the heat of the day when all, all the other women weren't there who probably picked on her and talked about her and scorned her. But Jesus said, go, go get your husband and come back. 
And here's what she said in verse 17 of chapter 4 in John. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. (coughs) He didn't know this woman. Never met her before. This is a word of knowledge. Came from the Holy Spirit. Why did. Why did that happen? Well. Look what she said. Right after that. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) He got her attention, didn't he? And she listened to everything he had to say after that. And then she went and told everybody in the village about him. And then they came back and listened to him. And many of them believed, not because she told them, but because they heard for themselves. So did that edify the body of believers? Did that help? In that situation, yeah, absolutely it did. It helped. God will do the same thing for you. Ask Him. Ask Him for that gift. And don't be surprised after you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you receive that gift. And once in a while, in a situation where it could be beneficial, He might give you a little fragment of information to share with somebody and And then they'll know that you're speaking for God. And uh, then you can share all the amazing things he's done for you and wants to do for them. Amen. In case anybody wants to look, there's also an example in Revelation. The first chapter, verses 10 through 20. And also in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. And Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 19. We'll go into the next one a little bit next week, but I just want to give you an example of that because any of you that might be interested in looking forward to those tidbits of information will keep you hanging in there. Amen. I love everything to do with the Holy Spirit. He's wonderful. And uh, when I get a chance, we'll go through uh, Genesis chapter 24, the entire chapter is a self-portrait of the author of the Bible written in there by him, (laughs) by the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day and for your beautiful word, all of your truth. And thank you for helping us to know you better and to trust you more, to live a life of faith that you've called us to. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that we are creative and powerful beings just as you are because you created us in your image. And thank you for keeping us mindful of our words, Lord, to know that life and death are in the power of our tongues and that we have the power to control our mouths and and to control the things that we say. And you've instructed us that whatever we speak should be for edification to build people up and not to tear them down. So we thank you, Lord. We're going to begin with that today and be mindful of that. And we're going to seek you more. And we ask you to remind us when we're getting a little off course. And we want to be like David, who was a man after your heart. And we will repent quickly whenever we realize that we have missed 
you on something, Lord. And we love you and thank you for loving us so much. Nothing can snatch us from your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.